Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I remember how it used to be. The phone's ringing off the hook. Clients are coming in the front door like crazy. And here comes little technician Timmy. Timmy comes up and he says, hey boss, where's my part? Where you want me to go next? What you want me to do? Gosh, Timmy, if I knew, I'd tell you, buddy, but I am covered up. All of that stopped when I found Shopware. With Shopware, you get an industry-leading expediter right there in the software. It tells you if your parts are here, where your technician should go next, and how much time they have left to complete the jobs in the day. Go to GetShopware.com to learn more. GetShopware.com. Hey everybody, David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. In this episode, Lucas and I sit down with Jeff Compton, a 23-year veteran of the automotive industry. Jeff has worked on everything from Caterpillar D9 bulldozers to light-duty automotive, and everywhere from tractor trailers on the side of the road, to two-bay independent repair shops, to 20-bay Chrysler dealerships. Jeff is extremely opinionated and brings his experience and perspective to the table on what is plaguing the industry and what he sees as solutions to these problems. His opinions don't go unchallenged, however, but I think you'll find his thoughts to be eye-opening as to what may be the prevailing opinion of a lot of experienced technicians in the field today. Before we begin, if you're on YouTube, please take a moment to hit that like button. It's quick and really helps us out. If you like the content, consider subscribing to the channel. If you're listening to this on your favorite podcast listening app, make sure you're set to automatically download the latest episode so you never miss an upload. Now, without further ado, here we go. I am up here. There's no training opportunities to speak of, and I I don't say none, but I mean, you know, you might get where, some where snap are you on. exactly? So I'm in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. So Kingston is like, if you know where Ottawa is, the nation's capital, right? And then you know where Toronto is, the most dense. Sure. Uh, we're I'm exactly halfway between. It's a two-hour drive to either one. So. We don't have training around here per se, unless Snap-on releases a new scan tool and enough guys, you know, return them under warranty <laughs> and then they decide to run a class. Otherwise, there's there's none, right? We don't have um, UAP Napa. If you're not set up to be a UA Napa, um, like if you don't buy from Napa, if you may buy from CarQuest, you don't really get into much of their training. 
Um, and and is that those crummy like nighttime classes that really suck? Like the pizza party class? Is that what you told me it was? The yeah, other day, a pizza it's, party it's, class. It's it's the ones that you sit at the back of the class. Well, I don't. I mean, I'd sit at the back because I'm a little taller than some of the other ones. And yeah, it's hard to. And you, and you see some guys come in, and it's like, oh, you know, the the keeners seem to have actually wash their hands um, before they're going into the pizza box. And it, you would sit there, and it would be more of like by our brand of, you know, uh, alternator and starter, right? Or by by Walker's catalytic converters and exhaust components and and so and I'm not running them down. Some of them the the book that they would give you um you know, had some good tech tips in it, right? It actually showed um I can remember one was for Visteon, which is was trying to get good market share in Canada. Um they told us they were from Tennessee and you know at one point they were the chosen rebuilder for Ford Motorcraft and blah 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 their little 3 hour thing one night was actually very informative and i'll say that walkers was as well but most of the other ones that i sat in was just i mean i couldn't believe the glazed over looks that you had and then oh, you'd yeah. get and some of it was like shops that you knew they they were in over their head from the moment they walked in, you know, like right. it was like, we're here because, and so that the parts house put that Visteon one because it was literally like, you know, they were having too many returns on their starters and their alternators. Now, were those defective parts? Eh, you know, let's, let's be generous and say maybe 50% were. Well, we know it was probably closer to probably 80% were perfectly fine, right? It was the Diag that failed. Right. So here I am. I was a dealer tech at the time. The, the number's I'm, a lot scarier than you actually think. Yeah. I was a dealer I, I used to be with that vendor that put yeah. on those classes and used to see the numbers come in. And it, it was something at one point, it was like uh, the starters we were sending out, 96%, some ridiculous number like that. 96% yeah. were still good. Yeah. They were good out of the box, like you know the warranty box. It would send them back, say, this yeah. thing failed. Yeah. 96% of them were still good. And I, I was a dealership tech um that was you know just was like hey it's a free training course go take it you know like we did a lot of so we bought any part that we didn't need through the dealer network we bought through that parts house so that's we were a pretty good client of theirs um and that's how i got sent into that course and i was but i'm sitting there going and i I don't mean to take this the wrong way these guys are on shops like this is incredible what they, <laughs> you know, what they, what they're getting, what they're getting, you know, going down a rabbit hole on. Like I could not believe it. And, and I, so we're talking, this is me 12 years ago. Right. Um, and I still see that now. Well, sometimes guys open up shops because they're unemployable. Yes. Yes. Like and, They can't, they can't find a shop that will employ them, will pay them well. They, they know they're underskilled. But a lot of times, I mean, I, I remember when I was uh, going through tech school, it was a, a gentleman that was going through the same tech school as me, but he decided he was going to open his own shop before he was out of tech school. And, you know, he was an old guy and he's like, oh, I've been working on cars since I was, you know, eight years old and this, that, and the other. And so he just wanted the, the diploma mm-hmm. is what he said. And he opened his own shop. And I mean, it was he was a pretty good R and R guy, but right. some of the other stuff was just hacky. Let's throw a part on it. 
you know, oh, it'll be fine. You know, it'll never come apart. <laughs> that, you know, just that kind of approach to repairs. And yeah. I used to go in and help. Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to My Shop, and click on the Rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. Little by little, uh, he, he didn't think I was fast enough, so he never employed me. I don't think I could work for him. He was a, a little bit shystery. But the biggest reason why he opened his own shop is nobody would hire him. I mean, he yeah. just he had a kind of a sketchy background and. He knew how to sell and how to uh, confidently tell people he knew what he was doing, even though he may not know what he mm-hmm. was doing. Bullshit baffles uh, brains, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and so he could he could sell work, and people believed him, and he had the look uh, of a uh, grease monkey. And so <laughs> <laughs> he went uh, he went about it, and but he was the, he was absolutely the guy that would be at the class with. Um, no knowledge, no no understanding of how electrical circuits work and why this alternator failed and how, how do you, you know, how do and you do voltage drop tests to determine why yeah. this thing is not putting out voltage at the battery? Just that, that would be way over his head. And that's how I wound up on Facebook in these kind of groups, right? That, uh, you know, sometimes people, you know, other other techs on YouTube, for instance, will will, you know, say that I'm... I'm a jerk. You know, I, I call people, I'm rude to them and I mean to them and I, and I don't help anybody. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. It's just, there's, there are, I mean, there's websites out there for, if you want a bullet, pay for the subscription and get the bullet, right? If you want to come in and talk about how to diagnose something better that, you know, it's been nine years and nobody's ever posted a question. How do I diagnose a lean code better? It's always, I have this car with this code. And what do I do to fix it? Well, the answer in a nutshell is you diagnose it and then you replace <laughs> the failed component, right? Or you right. fix that's, that's it in a nutshell. That's what you do, but that's not what they're asking, right? They want, they need help and I get it. And I sound to a lot of people in the industry, like, like I'm a jerk and I wear that badge of honor. <laughs> I'm, I'm not ashamed to wear the black hat, right? I don't mind playing the outlaw. It's a case of, I'm, I'm very, you know, and Lucas and I were talking about this before it started. 
Um, I'm to the point where I'm almost disgruntled where I've seen some of the people that are owners that can't solve what they need to solve. And they might have a guy like me working for them that might have the aptitude. And those guys, I feel for the most part, most employees in this industry are not compensated fairly, are not appreciated, are not given the opportunities they need to continue to grow and be nurtured. Um, they just, I think they're just seen as a column on a spreadsheet. And it, it, it boils me when I see these guys run a shop and post these potato questions. I'm just like, you are the problem with the industry, right? And it, sometimes I take it too far. I admit it. But, I mean, I, I, I've been in this industry working on it since 97. You know, I was the guy that was, we all got told, if you can learn to do this and you can learn to troubleshoot and you can look at the you might as well just buy the bank because it'll be like a license to print money. You'll have, you'll make, you'll choose your path. You know, you'll have anything you want. And that is not the case. It is well, not. It is, it is a, it's a fight for respect. It's a fight for, um, compensation uh it's a fight for just the time required the tooling required to do it you you know you said something the other day and and correct me if i'm wrong but it sounded a whole lot like you kind of got the shit into the stick with something that happened recently after yeah. the whole covid deal tell us yeah. a little bit about that so i'm um, and again I mean, you have to remember up in Canada, we're still, we're rolling into, you know, varied lockdowns of like, we're into our fourth lockdown. Now lockdown means that, you know, um, people in business, uh, are still under restrictions on how many people can sit in the restaurant. Like, so my last job is, is at a fleet company. So my, my employer has a bus fleet and of, and I mean, big buses, like, you know, tour buses. Uh, and then he also has a fleet of everything from a transit van all the way up to what you would see as a Greyhound or a Megabus, right? And everything in between. And then in that side business of that, he has a f couple fleets of people that are in construction that bring in their pickups and all that jazz. And, you know, we fix those and do everything. Um, and then, you know, we, oh, let's put a tire promo on, right? And sell a bunch of tires. Um, we got a tire machine sitting here doing nothing, right? Let's make some money on it. Um, and that's till, till we're some days we're running, we can't keep up with two hoists, right? You can't get it all done. So when COVID hit last, kind of the first restrictions started coming in last March, um, we had to close down. We had to be shut down. We were deemed not essential to be open in the first lockdown. So we were all off for six weeks and then we were brought back. And we were brought back when the government started to then say, okay, these are the mandates, how you can work. But everybody was scared to go out of their house. Uh, nobody was, you know, I mean, we were lining up to go into Walmart. This was before the mask mandate was even here. And they're saying, okay, I can bring you back, but the government subsidy. So this is, you know, and I'm not trying to rip on the government. The government subsidy is covering 75% of my staff's wages. So, and I, we're thinking, that's great. So his next rhetorical answer is, well, that's all I can afford to pay you then, is 75%. Wow. 
<laughs> but it won't crap. but it won't be but it won't be forever, right? It'll just be until uh things get back to normal. Now as a year later we can all see what is normal going to be? Well, that's it's speculative. So, we all sat down and it's a shop of we had um three mechanics, one apprentice, uh one service writer slash service manager and the owner. Um, so we sat down without the owner and decided, so, Hey, are we going to actually, you know, do this thing or not? And we all decided, yeah, let's go back, help him out. You know, we'll, we'll work for essentially what it works out to be is four bucks an hour less. Um, and you know, we don't want to see him lose his business because the fleet, like all the buses got parked. That was it. So the only thing that then stayed running was really was either fixing the fleet, which didn't make a whole lot of sense because we didn't know if like you could be doing a job on a, a an annual inspection on a bus that you may have to sell that bus in three months time, right? Right. You don't know. So we all came back. Uh, we worked for another, I worked for another six weeks and uh, it just, uh, the workload wasn't there. And I got told, okay, we're going to have to lay you off again. And that was last, that was last June. So since last June, I have not worked. I have not had a job. And so I've been living on government assisted, you know, essentially unemployment insurance, uh, which, you know, I'm, I'm thankful to have. Um, but it, it's, you know, it is, it is amazing to see uh, how insignificant you are. <laughs> Uh, in the greater scheme of things. And so I finally got the notice from him. They called me last Friday um, and was told that I'm too expensive to be brought back at the wage that I was at. And they are going to try and hire somebody um, for substantially less because they only pretty much want to do just some tires and some brakes and some oil changes. They don't need a tech. Um, They need somebody that's essentially legal but they don't need somebody that can solve anything because they realize that they, you know, they're not charging properly for the problem solving. They're not getting enough of it, maybe so on and so forth. You know, pick your excuse, right? So we've had folks in the U.S. here that have said, well, to fix this problem here of underpaid, underqualified, well, let's say underqualified and those that are qualified are underpaid because there's a slew of unqualified technicians flooding the market Agreed. there aren't any actual qualified technicians the fix for a lot of these guys is licensing they're like let's get the government involved that they require a certain level of licensing for technicians to be able to actually work on vehicles in canada <laughs> how does that work <laughs> so in canada it's it's what we call uh, a recognized red seal uh trade so in Canada, believe it or not, if you want to cut hair, you serve an apprenticeship, you write a licensed exam, and you become a licensed, you know, esthetician or hair cutter or barber, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, if you want to be a plumber, uh, they want uh, a license. You know, everything is licensed. And I'll tell you right now, every trade pays better than the automotive, licensed automotive trade up here i know guys that hang drywall so it's licensed though yes you can't go legally work at a shop without getting licensed well so right well 
okay, yeah, or let's wink, wink, air quotes. Yes, you're right. You can't. But we, I could show you. Are you, you know, saying people break the law? I'm and telling, like, uh, go underground and just hire people that don't yeah. have licensing. Yeah, we they hire. That's pe- shocking. That's shocking, right? They hire <laughs> they hire kids that want to be mechanics or or kids that are car guys or or you know they hire farm kids, right? I I've heard that thing. You know, farm kids are the greatest apprentices in the world to get. I've heard that line. It and then as long as they have a licensed tech working in the shop that's supposed to oversee the work that they do, it's legal, right? And then the apprenticeship board, which is a, a you know you do an apprenticeship recognized by your provincial government. They oversee, so you take a you you go off to schooling, and you can go one day a week for nine months, or you can go for uh, two months, almost three months, uh, once a year uh, for four consecutive terms, and then you write the interprovincial they call it exam, and if you pass, which is not a fifty, a pass used to be like a seventy-five, then you got your license. And the so license- just so we take it off the table. Everybody who thinks, well, if just the, we just had some regulation, we could handle this. We could take care of this entire problem with some regulation. Can we just take that off the table and say that the same problems that we're having in the U.S., the same problems that the some shop in Florida, Matt Scundrich, is experiencing in the U.S. <laughs> is experiencing is being experienced in a country where you have to be licensed in order to be uh, a, a technician. Yes. And it hasn't solved the problem, right? No, because the testing is, I'll put it frankly, is too easy. I've worked with, like I, like Lucas and I were saying, I've worked with probably 100 guys. That now have you're just license. kicking the can down the road. Well, Say, well, we can make the test harder. It's like, okay, well, that just means more apprentices and only, you know, they'll well, just hire more apprentices and they'll just say, hey, there's one guy who did pass the, the test, the 80% or the 90%, this really difficult test. That's the only one we need to have. The rest of them are, and you know the law before it. And we're like, hey, uh, now we want the ratio to be six to one because yes. we can't find enough, you know, well, to pass that the was, test. That was it, David. They actually lowered the what became a passing grade because they were having too many guys go through the apprenticeship program, write the final, and couldn't like they they couldn't pass it. So they had three years essentially, maybe invested of their life in a shop environment, and then three years of you know, call it, they had eight months of schooling, you know, through the government subsidized, paid for, and then to sit and write the final test and they would fail or they would pass and you would go into the shop and you would hand them, you know, a basic electrical problem and they couldn't solve it. Right. They could tell so you that renders the testing useless because you have to lower the, the bar, the threshold, because you can't get enough people to qualify, uh, or, you make it so difficult that there aren't enough and you still run into a shortage or you end up with some kind of weird ratio. Like I was saying earlier, where you have one qualified technician, one certified technician, and they just lobby to have, you know, the big dealership groups and lobby to have. That's what the dealerships. Tech, yeah. That's what the dealerships up here groups up here do is try and get, you know, um, one apprentice for every licensed tech that they have because the government will subsidize their pay. So if you bring in an apprentice, um, and you're hurting on, my head. Let's, yeah. let's talk about something else. This is awful. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> this <is> a, <laughs> but this is this is the reality, right? Um, so what it, you this get, hasn't fixed anything, though, right? Oh, I just want to make this abundantly clear that you know we get we occasionally get the comment which need regulation, and and these are typically like very unlicensed, like do whatever you want type of states. 
uh, like Florida, Matt Skundrich. And, you know, they, they just go do whatever you want. Like, you know, you just put a sign out front in your front yard in some places and now you're a shop and that's right. it. Yeah. And there are other states in California. It's much more heavily regulated in Michigan. It's much more heavily regulated, but it hasn't fixed the problem in those states. But the people in Florida, they think, well, if we just, we just had more regulation, we could fix this. But you take it to the nth degree and you go to Canada it still hasn't fixed the problem. So obviously we have something else going on. Well, hey, listen, Jeff told me the other night that the real problem is independent shops. Well, it in a sense that there's no, how do I put it? There's no, there's no, there's no uniformity from one to another, right? Like, and that's, that's the appeal. Well, sort up of here. the joy of being in an independent repair shop is I don't have to do it <laughs> anybody's way. I can do it my way. But it's not necessarily the joy from the customer standpoint, David, in the sense that here's so. I, like, I have to strongly, I'll make you, let you make you toy because otherwise I'll just keep interrupting. But <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to so vehemently disagree with you, but go ahead. Go ahead. Because, so I'll tell you right now, if you were to walk into a dealership, the, the whole point of the dealerships, and they'll tell you right this from the mandate down, is that they want that customer, whether they're in a, a dealership in Anchorage, or in Anaheim, they want that experience to be familiar, to be the same, to be to know that they're going to get the same level of expertise, of you know, warm, fuzzy feeling, all that, whatever you want to think. They want it consistent to the point of where they'll say, your showroom furniture has to be bought from this vendor. My I have a friend that was the fixed op manager at, you know, a high-end Euro dealer in Ottawa. And he can buy the furniture from other places exact same. He is not allowed to because it has to be deemed the same. So when, when I, and it sounds like I'm running down independent shops when I say that, you know, uh, a dealer tech would have fixed that um, or a dealer tech would have known that bullet. That's not me running down the independent shop. Quite the opposite. It's just, that's maybe all he can fix, right? Is that brand. That model yeah. even sometimes within that brand. That tranny guy maybe can only do that one transmission out of 10 that are in the product line. But when you go to an independent, right, this is the appeal I think up here especially, why people feel, well, I can go to our biggest on the block, like I said to Lucas, was Canadian Tire. I can go to a Canadian Tire in Kingston, or I can go to a Canadian Tire in Toronto, and I'm going to get pretty much the same about price and about the same, you know, quality experience. You go to a, an independent around here, and you may pay anywhere from seventy dollars an hour to a hundred and twenty dollars an hour, and you may get the exact same successful or unsuccessful repair on your vehicle. Um, so I think that's the. I don't want to say that regulation is going to fix anything or is necessary in the aftermarket. But I can tell you that dealerships are forced to be a certain way. They have no choice. We did talking about it, essential tooling, uh, information systems. It drives me nuts when somebody says to me, I'm trying to fix something. I don't even have an information system. I worked at a shop five years ago. The guy did not have an information system. He had all data still on CDs. Like that, this. That's crazy. That, it I is mean, crazy. How can you? I, I, I can't even... I I don't even think that we could accomplish a day's work without. 
I couldn't. An information system. I, 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 I can tell you right now, I, I don't see, if you're a shop today and you're still operating like that, you know, there's still shops operating with paper tickets. Right. I, man, I just, I, I can't get it. I don't. It, I, am I missing Lucas, something? they don't, they, yeah, yeah, they can't you're afford missing it, something. Yeah. No, 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 they can afford it. So oh. my, the, the guy, the guy next to me at my old location was at one point had a very large facility, something like 12 bays. And, you know, he's just pumping work out like crazy. This is back in the day, I think 70s, 80s. He wound down his business to the point where it's just him and a couple of helpers. And he's the only actual experienced technician. He's been around the block. He knows, you know, everything except the like newer stuff. He just, he doesn't get involved for the most part, but people still bring him brand new vehicles. Oh yeah. He, he will sublet a lot of diag because he just he doesn't know he's smart he'll that buy way. the what's that he's smart that way then well yeah right? well to a certain degree and there's some things he just doesn't do but what he can do he just he does it and you know he'll do some oil changes and brakes and you know he'll do maybe some heavy line work every so often but he he knows what he does really well but the people bring him vehicles because he's their car guy yeah. And, and that's where I have to disagree with you and in, in saying that the uniformity is not a solution at all because being able to tailor the experience based on your personality preferences and traits to a certain type of customer will appeal again to a certain type of customer. Not everybody likes me. There are a lot of people that don't like me. Can't imagine why, but they don't. Can so I, hey, can they're I not going to, what's that? <laughs> What'd you say? That, look, I'm raising my hand. <laughs> I, I can't there's see There's a lot of people you. who that, don't that like was, you. That was terrible. I, we can't see each other. Anyway, thanks for interrupting me. I was in a flow. So <laughs> there are some people that just, they don't like me. They don't like the way I do business for whatever reason. Maybe they do want that dealership experience. Just something as simple as being open on Saturday. They cannot come to me because I'm not open on Saturday. They don't understand why I wouldn't be open on Saturday. You know, I jokingly say my wife would be very upset if I were open on Saturdays. She would be. Mm -hmm. But the biggest reason I'm not open on Saturdays is when I opened my business, I said, I'm never going to be open on Saturdays. I've worked thousands of Saturdays. Like, I'm done. I'm not working any more Saturdays. It's over. And so I'm not open on Saturdays. But some of the people, they have to have availability on Saturday. Or we're just not a good fit. And so if you make it all uniform, either somebody's not going to get their Saturday or somebody is going to get their Saturday and the employees are going to be forced to work on a Saturday. They don't want to work. And so having independent repair shops allows people to just go to whatever they prefer. It's like having a great barber. Back in the day, I used to go to barber shops before I lost all my hair. And you always had your barber. You had your guy. Now you could go to great clips if you wanted to. Are you, do you have great clips up there? We have magic cuts. Okay, so, so yeah, it's, it's it's the same experience. Every single magic cuts you go into, every single yeah. great clips has a franchise feel to it, and they have everything down to you know the equipment and the, the smells and the sound and everything's the same. So you pick it. You you pick your haircut out of the book. You pick your haircut out of the book and you go up and you, they, they cut your hair and they're all trained to give the same haircut, this, that, and the other. But yeah. it's not quite the same as going to your barber, your guy, or your right. gal that cuts your hair just the way you want. They know you. You've established a relationship. There's rapport there. Mm-hmm. And you could get that in a Great Clips. You could. But to say that you could get that at every Great Clips 
undermines the importance of the relationship. Right. And the at the end of the day, that's what I can offer that no dealership can. Agreed. A great relationship with me, the owner, I'm accessible. You can text me. You're not going to get Hendrick, you know, <laughs> yeah. Rick Hendrick isn't going to return your text messages. If you're upset about something, that's not going to happen. So a lot of people go to an independent repair shop because they want to feel like they can have access to somebody who can make the decision that can help them out. And they want to have that relationship. They want to be comfortable with the repair process, knowing that this person lives in my neighborhood. They know me. I've been coming for, for years. Yeah, they're not open on Saturday. Yeah, I don't have big cushy leather couches out front. I don't have a giant aquarium. You know, I don't have this, the Starbucks machine. I, I don't have any of those things. I don't have frills. Right. I, and one more point here. On the repair side, I think we're far superior to the dealerships, at least in my area. And the reason being that my vehicles are coming in seven to 10 years old on average. Mm-hmm. They have over a hundred thousand miles. The repair needed in order to ensure that that repair sticks is not the same as the guy doing the warranty work. For example, you take something like a three, six Acadia leaking uh timing cover. Very common. There are additional parts and processes that you have to add to the repair. There's going to increase the price, but that's going to ensure that you save the customer money in the long run mm-hmm. because you're not just re-gasketing the time and cover and slapping it back in there and shipping it. Yep. That's how you would do it under warranties. You're going to do just what's required. You're not going to do all these additional things, these additional steps. Hey, we're going to replace these tensioners. We're going to replace these additional seals. Hey, while we're in there, we're going to put a new water pump in there because it's very common for them to start to leak. You don't want to pay me to go back in there again. You're just going to pay me for the parts and maybe a teeny tiny amount of labor to tighten everything back down. Maybe the serpentine belt gets replaced. There are additional items that you're going to add to the ticket because you are looking at it from a systems standpoint. You're trying to do a holistic repair that is going to last the vehicle, considering the fact that it has the age that it has, knowing that these things are failure prone and therefore I should just go ahead, save the customer, ultimately save the customer money by adding those additional pieces you don't the the dealership doesn't take that approach they don't well no the dealership is told how to fix it right like i mean and and i'm not trying to 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 wave the you know flag for the dealership because i've i've worked in independent i've worked in dealer i've worked in both um and it's both sides you know there's both sides to it the dealer has to fix it the way the dealer is told to fix it right i mean if they decide to go in and change this and that and the other thing that's not failed at that moment, they get slapped with a big old audit and it gets cost, you know, charged back. And that job went from paying X amount of dollars to paying nothing. So, you know, and I mean, and and here's the thing, that customer, if it's, I only lease this turd every three years, they don't really give a flip, right? They just are already pissed that it's not even that it's in the shop and they want it back ASAP. Well, that, and that, they'll be but that just goes back year. to my point. That, that guy was never going to come to my shop ever. No, right. No. So let them go to the dealer. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, my, that guy's never going to come to my shop. He's never going to appreciate what it is that we do. My, my so thing the person I, that, go ahead, go ahead. So I think what you're getting, you're getting maybe not understanding what I'm saying when I'm talking about dealerships is there's a level of consistency. It could be a bare minimum, right? From one to the other in terms of tooling 
or some level of experience. I don't use the word expertise because I don't not I don't assume that everybody practices this with expertise just because they work at a dealer, but there's a level of consistency between each one in terms of they can't go in there and go, oh, uh, I heard in another podcast, well, they can't go in there and say, well, I can't do that job because we don't have that tool, right? You're not allowed to say that. It doesn't happen. The tool has to be there. They get shipped the tool and it gets billed. They don't get to say, I don't want that. And I, and I like that point. I, really I love like that it. point. All right. I your like information system oh, never gets, here. your information system never gets turned off. You don't decide to unsubscribe it for a month or two because the techs were using it wrong or it was too expensive or, or the, the buggers put the price up 20 bucks. I'm not paying for all that anymore. It's Wait 20. a minute. Shops do that. <laughs> I've, I, <laughs> Heavy on the sarcasm. Yeah, yeah, never. Where so it's not me waving a flag. Understand that, David. It's not me saying, "Yay, dealers." Hard, quite the opposite. But what I'm saying is, I think the independents at some point have to, and they're they're. I'm not saying all are bad, but the idea that how few within the industry go to training, have a business coach, read the published materials. Right? How many of them that run a shop have ever heard of IATN? It's still, what is it, 50% yet? It wouldn't even be that, right? But yet in the dealership, you have no choice. You have to have a certain amount of techs that are certified. Doesn't mean, again, that they're qualified. It means they're certified. They pass the test. They're supposed to be there. They can't say to the customer, we're not going to be able to work on that. That's what I was getting at about consistency. It's not me waving a flag saying dealers are great. I would not go back and work at another dealer. I could be what one right now. I could be working at you know a couple different shops right now. I'm not going to because I'm not cut out anymore for that culture, right? Of turn and burn, do the political thing. Uh, but at the end of the day, though, it comes down to the consumer. It comes down it, to the consumer, it, and you have to sell the consumer. I think the industry, the aftermarket industry right now, is dropping the ball huge in terms of serving the customer a sense of competency. I'll put it that way. And I, again, and I'm, I could be overexposed to the worst of the worst by what I see online. And I, I'll tell you right now up in Canada, no, I think that's, that's probably accurate. I agree with you there. I agree with you there, but you know, a, a couple of things we, we mentioned this in, in the, in the podcast with Mario is I said, until the technicians stop putting up with it, Stop putting up with not having information systems. Stop putting up with being under-equipped. Until they stop, until they stop putting up with it, nothing is going to change. But I mean, it your, is a technician's your, market. Yeah. Well, your, is it your, though, really? Is it Absolutely though? it is. I'm telling you, it, well, at least here in the States it is. But hold on, hold on. So from, you're tell- from you're- a uniformity standpoint, <laughs> that comes down to, to the, the, the consumer and preferences. Look, the, the, if the consumer trusts their shop and the guy says, Hey, I don't have the equipment to do that. That's going to have to go to the dealer, but they're willing to take it to the dealer for this one repair and then come back to him or yeah. her for whatever. Then that's their choice. They're making that conscious decision to put up with the fact that this shop is under equipped. It now it's, it'd be better if the consumer was better informed on what's actually needed to properly repair a vehicle because there are a lot of shops that shortchange the repair or just put out inadequate repairs because they don't have the equipment. They don't, they can't repair the vehicle properly. They don't want to turn it away because it's money right. and therefore they're willing to cut corners. 
that's where the consumer needs to be informed and they need to know, Hey, you know, do have the equipment. This is something that I get all the time. I, I get calls, do work on BMW. I tell them no. And I said, but if you do call around, ask them if they have this equipment mm-hmm. and I give them the name of the equipment. I said, when you're calling around shops, ask them, do you, if they say yes, do they have this equipment? If they say no, they just want your money. They are yeah. not equipped to service your vehicle properly. And they're like, oh, really? Well, thanks for the tip. Yeah. At least I'm informing these customers. They're not just going to whoever says yes and makes them feel warm and fuzzy. So I, if it falls on the consumer at some point, it now really back to does. the, te- it's the technician's market It ap- here in the U.S. It absolutely is the technician's market. They can pick the, the shop. They can dictate their salary. They can say, and now I'm not saying that they can just walk into any shop and just say, Hey, I want $85,000 a year. I only want to work Monday through Friday and you better have OE level tooling or I'm not going to show up. Now they can set those terms, but if they do set those terms, they're going to find a shop. Some shop is going to say, yes, absolutely. I will get that done. Or yeah, I've already got that. Let's go ahead and get this done. I, and then I, maybe I should defect because I mean, I can tell you right now in my little corner of the world, uh, especially up in the aftermarket sector in my immediate vicinity, there is probably not a shop right now that would even know, well, for instance, will not hear this podcast, um, will not be aware of the training that's available. Like you guys talk about vision and all that kind of stuff. I mean, up in Canada, like there's probably been you know, not a ton of Canadians that go to vision, right? We're crossing borders at that point. Um, but I mean, we have a similar thing up here. I think it's called apex or something like that. And I can tell you that me in 25 years of doing this, I've not known one shop that's gone to it that has dedicated the time to it. Um, so, I mean, the idea that it's, it's a technician's market right now, that, that sounds great. And I'm not saying there is an opportunity out there, but I mean, Let's go back to where I am. I'm currently sitting unemployed because I'm too expensive for the shop owner to retain. So, hey Jeff. Yeah? My shop, it sits right on this little beautiful <laughs> stocked yeah. creek. And you can, hey, if you, if you stand beside the new shop, you could probably cast and hit the creek from the side of the new shop. See, and you'd right. think that I'd be a stellar employee then, right? Like I wouldn't, I would, <laughs> the first time the clouds broke and the sun came out, I'd be dropping what I was doing to go out and throw a line in. Right. And I'd be, oh, it's just <laughs> one more cast boss. And I'll be right back to that oil change. But th- that's so, you know, and I, again, I'm not trying to run down, you know, my situation or run down, but it's, you know, you, you, you mentioned Mario, Mario, I wish every tech out there, was Mario. Mario is a is a stellar tech, is a fantastic example of what this industry needs. But Mario is much younger than me. And I had all that enthusiasm and that Mario has and had, and I had that great attitude. And I still I feel still think I have a good attitude for this industry. But you know, and and I'm not I'm not angry at the road that I went down. Um, but I mean, we don't always get that, uh, you know, we don't get to where Mario is. I, I was the guy, Lucas and I talked before you got on David about how many hours we used to sit and watch Paul Danner, you know, on our own time. Mm-hmm. And Paul Danner, Paul Danner 
is I've gotten more training from Paul Danner than I've ever got from anywhere else in the industry. And I didn't pay a dime for it. And that's 100% the truth. And when people go on and I'm not trying to get onto the YouTube versus legit trainers, that's not, it's just, I still am amazed. We can have with, that conversation if you want to. <laughs> well, we're, we might have to do a couple of these, David. Um, I'm amazed at how many techs in the industry for the last eight years, I still have to expose them to, well, it used to be I'd expose them to IATN. And then later on, I have to, I still am exposing them to Paul Danner. Right. And yeah. it's like, oh, you want to mm-hmm. know how this works? Here's some free information that's from a professional level, top of his industry. The guy that knows can how exp- to teach. That's that it, Lucas, like we teach. talked about, right? He's not just a guy that understands that system inside and out. You can tell he is an educator. He was a professional educator. And that's huge. That's huge. He has the ability to get the information into those minds. It's, that's a whole other talent in itself. So when I talk about guys like Mario, and you know, they may look at me and go, that guy's a jerk, man. He calls all these people stupid. I'm, I'm the way I am because I've seen and heard this for 25 years. That, you know, it's a technician's market. It's a diagnostic guy's, you know, name your price. That's all BS. All BS. The reality is when you come in, you're going to walk into a shop. There's going to be an older guy over there in the corner. And he's been with the company 10 years, 12 years, 25 years. It doesn't matter. Pick a number. It's substantially a long time. And back in the day, he used to be the the golden child. He used to be the guy that could solve everything. And then technology got away from him. He slows down. That's all fine. It's part of growing old. But that guy now, you're fighting for respect from him. You're fighting to get equal pay for him from him in comparison to him. And you're being held against him in comparison by shop owners. And I it's not just my experience. I could show you 10 texts that I know that have all faced that when they go in. So when we talk about this industry, it eats its young, right? We, we, we do. And it isn't because we don't help the new ones coming in with the, the, the bullet answer that they need. It's because we don't keep our current techs, in my opinion now, this is, I got to insert that, we don't keep our current techs up to date. And when the new people come in, the young blood, the, you know, they understand they're, they're never going to be able to set the float level on a carburetor as fast as that gentleman could. But by God, they can read data, right? They can understand and look at a lean code from data in the seat and know whether it's a vacuum leak or a fuel pump. I can't, I've worked with, you know, countless techs that were above 50 that couldn't, and I could at 25. So does that make me better than them? No. Does it make me maybe more relevant? Well, possibly. And with that comes then, you have to look at what you're doing as an owner, what kind of customers you're coming in, what kind of tech you have, what kind of job, and you have to put the proper compensation to that tech. And that is in this industry, that's not happening. And we can talk all you want about things aren't being charged for and free diagnostics and giving away labor and discounts. and coupon. We can talk all that. That's cool. But when you have a guy that we, that you run out of a shop because he has to fight, claw, scratch, kick, and bite 
to get respect and get treated like he is what he is, you know, the go-to guy in your business. And we stop looking at them because, oh, he's brand new and he's young and start looking at them like, frig, that kid's the industry future. And we start treating them like that. Then you have an industry that you can now sell to the next generation. Because I'll tell you right now, David, I've got four friends that all achieved master certification in their product line that they worked on at the dealer. All of them. Fantastic techs. You know where they are? They're not working at the Goodyear Tire Factory, fixing the machinery in the factory. For some of them, for the same money as what they made as a tech. And they work shift work. But man, they get treated like gold. So that's four techs that left that I can show you that, that just I know personally that got out of the industry. And you know that the guy that interviewed for me, you know what he was? A former tech when I did the interview at that place. And the guy, wow. the other guy that did the interview, former tech. This industry, I could no more sit now in a high school and sit down with a group of kids and go, get into this industry. I couldn't do it in good faith. I could not. I would feel like I would be doing them a disservice. I guess my issue, though, is that this is almost the exact same argument that some of these trainers make. I don't know how often I see trainers that go, man, everybody's clamoring for training. They want training. They want training. But I put a training class out and nobody shows up. Sometimes oh. they even do it for free. They throw a free class up there with fantastic information. I mean, high level information. You know what I'm saying? It isn't a yeah. pizza party. And nobody shows up. And when do they have and to go? They have to go on their own time or do they get to go during the shop time? Well, whatever. Either way. Either way. <laughs> and I'm and I'm, I'm talking about like these are technicians that are clamoring for the training. They're saying, man, I wish somebody would put out a good J2534 class. You know, a high level class. Mm -hmm. And the class is offered. Nobody shows up. These aren't the shop owners asking for it. These are technicians asking for it. Right. But then they throw those questions up in the groups that frustrate you. But, you know, the night before, they weren't at the class. That would have answered their question. I you agree. see what I'm saying? 100%. Now, so these trainers are complaining about it, and some of them blame YouTube. And they say, well, they can get that information for free on YouTube. Why would they pay for it? And I have to, like, strongly disagree with them, too. <laughs> The, the issue, when I say it's a technician's market, it's a technician's market for those that are able to market themselves. If I can market my skills properly and I can communicate to the prospective shop owner that I can offer this value, because at the end of the day, it ends up being true of absolutely anything. The, the, the chef that can properly uh, tr uh, communicate their value and they can market themselves properly are going to get the best jobs. The technicians that market themselves properly can communicate their value properly are going to get the best jobs. That's just true all the time. So rather than saying uh, that that's true of every industry, every single time. So rather than say, well, the industry's eating their young, I agree with you there, but I, I think rather than just train them on technical aspects, they need em employment skills. How do you walk into a shop and properly communicate that you are going to be very productive, self-sufficient. Uh, you're going to be interested in bettering yourself and making the shop relevant and more money ultimately by improving your skills. How do you tell the shop owner that in a way that ensures that the shop owner understands 
and then is then willing to pay you whatever it is that you're asking for. Because they're just walking and say, look at my certs, pay me money. It doesn't work that way. It's just the same thing as I'm going to throw up a free class and just expect people to show up. I don't, I don't have a, like, if you see my resume, I don't have a ton of certs next to it, right? Because I, I'm not certified in, in anything. I haven't been, I, I'm, I'm licensed to do it because it's none of it's been offered to me, right? From a standpoint of what I can then, we don't have ASE up here the way you guys do, right? We don't, you know, and, and again, I'm not trying to go down that wagon because I don't know enough about it. It's not the be all and end all up here, right? Up here, we look for a licensed tech because that's what's legal. And then we look for some guys that it's like, have you got any diagnostic experience? Yeah, I got all kinds of it. Okay, great. That's what we need. And then you get in here or there and you, you know, watch the, you know, the, I don't want to say the shit roll in, but you watch some of the stuff that you get in, you get into the shotgun parts. It's been to the fourth, you know, you're the fourth guy to take a look at a customer. Right. And we talk about it all the time then, and you watch that your production. I hate that word. We don't, Lucas knows will laugh when I say production. I hate that word. Um, and you'll see your production is not what the guy over in the corner that just does alignments all day. And you'll be said, you'll be held to, well, that guy is still our, our, our guy because he turned a hundred hours in the last, last two weeks. Right. And, and look at how many of those shops built services and built everything they're trying to do around that guy. Sure. Now I get it. I, I I think testing and diagnostic services make up a smaller percentage than we have trained for. And, oh. and I, I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I, I think that the majority of shops, especially here in the U.S., they couldn't go hire a Jeff Compton and say, I'm going to give you $100,000 a year to just diag cars because they would run out of cars to diag. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I, I, I don't think there's... We have. I don't think they would run out of cars to diag. What they would do is run out of money from the customer. Yeah, I was just going to say, like at some point, the customer is going to give up paying. It's probably going to be priced right out of a lot of customers' you know realm because I mean you're going to get into. You have to remember up here in Canada, right? If it's ten years old, I mean, I was underneath my brother's 2011 Ranger this morning. It's like never had an oil spray in its life in terms of undercoating. So I look at that and go, okay, I'm fixing a transmission shifting issue right now. Uh, but I'm going to tell him that at hundred he's got 180,000 kilometers on it, that it's now time to retire that thing because it's, it's getting pretty rotten. So up here right. we have a situation where, you know, you guys are maybe driving around with some pristine rust-free stuff that needs an engine. Well, up here, that'd be a viable repair, right? Or if, if it was rust-free. Up here, we get into it. Okay, so you got some rocker panels that are looking like Swiss cheese, and you got a dropped, you know, valve seat on cylinder five. Let's get you into another car. Uh, we're so we price ourselves up here. We have to we walk an even finer line because you get into it the transmission side of it, especially you get into it and it needs an overhaul, and you look at it and you go, yeah, we're not doing it, right? It's not. Yeah, worth but then it. at that point, if I'm up there. And, you know, I think a lot of shops up in the northeast run, uh, northeast part of the country, and like maybe Minnesota and Michigan and, and those parts of the country there, they they run into something very similar. But if I'm in the, that area, I'm pushing, you know, the undercoating, the, the rust proofing, whatever you want to call it. 
I'm going to be selling that with every car that comes yeah. in the door that's, you know, that doesn't have any rust. Like now this is just part of your maintenance because I can see the whole, like it's 10 years old. It's got 180,000 kilometers. It's time to trade it in. Me personally, I don't want to trade it in. I don't want car payments again. I don't right. want to pay the higher you know, insurance costs and the property taxes. I don't want to do any of that. I want a paid for a car with cheap insurance that, you know, has dings and, and dents. And I don't care because, you know, it's my 15 year old beater Yep, and it still runs great. And it's mechanically super sound and it has all the features I want. And I've gotten used to driving it. Like that's the car I want. I want my yep. car. Yeah. And so I, I'm going to appeal to that customer. And so we just add additional services. It's nuts that every shop up there isn't pushing that additional so it's just another line of revenue well so i'll tell you why we can't sell undercoating worth a damn and have you guys seen it that little electric box that you screw into the you know fender and it hooks has a little led light in it and that's supposed to be an anti-corrosion module you seen that down there <laughs> i've seen those yeah what yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh Dave, yeah. david you're supposed this to be like in a wish.com thing david you need to go home and this is to be your homework <laughs> you, you need to look that up a rust inhibitor module anti-corrosion module and it works on the idea that it's a sacrificial anode that's what the car was supposed to be it puts a trickle turret through it's supposed to not rust okay so every dealer out there now is selling those on a brand new car oh my god i and are you serious of, uh, listen if i'm lying i'm dying man i wish i was making this stuff up but i'm not and then half of the aftermarket or sorry the used car lots are putting them on and the other half oh are spraying god. the undercoating is a you know is a is an old rocker guard paint so, in an aerosol can and that's undercoating right it's not doesn't do this is this is travel through like the rubber bushings and and connect to like uh oh yeah it, it listen the control nothing, arms and things like that oh nothing can rust on the car once you put this on david nothing <laughs> we we do your ceramic listen we do your we do your we this do your nuts we do this your is, clear this is the craziest thing i've ever seen dude. listen come if you want to if you want to see how to make money illegitimately come on to canada and we'll show you how to do it because like that's how they do it. That's how they go from selling it and making X amount of dollars on the new car sale to making a $2,000 spiff on it, right? Because they'll charge that customer, they'll post that as a value of 500 bucks and the kits come, they're nineteen ninety nine each. You know, they, they give a tech, the guy that does the oil changes, he gets to put them in because they hook directly to the battery, right? Like you don't have to do anything. All they do is run the battery down, turn a little LED light on. And you sell that to the customer and say you never need to get undercoating again. That's ridiculous. And then that if is just ridiculous. and if you go and get the paint protection, which is you let us wax it for you before you take delivery of it, then we'll, well, they've, been, we'll they've been pushing this kind of garbage though for forever. Like you know, the, the dealerships that have nitrogen uh, filling stations for whoa 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 whoa. Like, hey, I don't whoa. ever have to fill my tires up or airplanes check the use tire it. Pressure. Yeah, I you mean <laughs> you know people would pull in and go I I. Well, I can't get my tire topped off here. You don't have a nitrogen machine. Yeah. The, I tell them I'd rather run flat. We're 70% nitrogen here. That's what the preferred mix. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. That's what you're breathing right now. You know, that's the greatest machine in the world is that is that <laughs> nitrogen machine because it sits in the corner of the shop. I've never seen anybody have to service it, change a filter on the inside of it, do a darn thing to it. And it adds, you know, a tire warranty. That's essentially what they're selling to the customer when they do that is they're saying, okay, this third party that they come in and give us the machine, they turn around and then we'll maybe extend the warranty on your tires if something happens. I've never seen a customer get a tire replaced 
because it had nitrogen in it when it failed, but I guess in theory they could. Well, I had a trainer come in and, and the guy was, I was asking him about the nitrogen filling stations and he goes, I said, well, the dealer, all the dealers around here had them. I don't know if they still do, or if they still push it. I haven't heard yeah. about it for a yeah. while, but this was like five. Well, when, when they really, when they rolled out TPMS sensors, uh, that's when it got really big. All the dealers had, uh, sh- ships had it. And so people were like, oh, I got to go back to the dealer because I've got nitrogen, 100% nitrogen in my, in my tire. And th- these dealerships are 26 bays long. Yeah. Yeah. And they have one machine. <laughs> Do you think the guy that that's on the one end of the the shop who's using the machine? Do you think the, the guy at the other end is like, oh, I got to top off the tire? I'm going to walk all the way down there, grab the machine, unhook it, roll it all the way up here. So no, no, well, no, no, no. It gets done when you do the PDI on the car, David. It's just another thing that's expected for the tech to do for free when he's doing the PDI. So he's got to yeah. pull that machine up, hook all four lines to the tires. It deflates the tires all down to zero psi vacuums them you know does two purges and then it refills it with the nitrogen blend right that's part of what now has to get done and you're selling so again i lucas has heard me rant for years about you know perceived value versus actual value right and i can take i can take you know moldy bread and i can put it in a box and put a bowl on it and i can sell it to somebody and i can call that aged bread right it's perceived value so why is it so many times in this industry we fail in the aftermarket to do what the what the dealerships do why is that because it's scummy (laughs) well is it scummy though (laughs) yes it's scummy look i'm i am so the anti-dealership i my i had a sign up on my the front of my building we moved locations a couple years ago and uh we put a sign just has a banner (laughs) <laughs> well, no, it's that that was the sign. That was the band. He's got flashing neon now. Eh? He just keeps going bigger and bigger. <laughs> and a beaver. Yeah. Uh, so, why oh, I got to bring the beaver up? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, put the, I put the banner up, and it, it, and it had some verbiage in there about uh, dealership. Screw the dealership. I don't want to be associated with the dealer. Just forget the dealer. No. No, no, no. And by the way, my guy's coming out this week to put my new sign up. I'm very excited. Nice. Nice. And, and well, un- understand. No I'm not- mention of the dealer. No okay. mention of the dealer. And Screw I, the dealer. Well, you know, I, I think there's, there should be, and again, this is for another topic on probably another night. I think there should be more of a symbiotic relationship within the industry. Cause you have to realize some of the texts that you're going to be getting Amongst independent repair shops, I agree with you. But uh, what we should be doing is poaching good techs from the dealership away from that soul-sucking life working at the dealership. I agree 100%. And put them into nicer, better, friendlier, more family-oriented type shops that aren't rewarding necessarily. Although, this, I think this is the bigger discussion, is the idea that the the shot, the technicians that do the R and R work. That was the discussion with Cody. The technicians mm-hmm. that do yep. just the R and R work tend to be the most profitable, and so therefore they're they're the most desired. They're the ones that are rewarded. And just like Lucas just said, the entire business revolves around that guy banging out a hundred hours a week. Sure, it does. Yep. So, at some point. And and you know what? You could say, well, every technician should just do that then. Be a, a really, really good R&R guy, somebody that just bang out 
suspension work and brakes and maybe a gasket here or, or, or there and there and and do just do it at a really really good pace and just be able to beat book time just every single time 150 percent efficiency 200 percent efficiency whatever why don't we just get everybody doing that everybody would make money except at some point the guy's going to break down mm-hmm. and he's going to take the guy or gal is going to break down and they're going to take all of their experience with them. They're not going to be able to do that when they hit 50, 55, 60, that's going to be impossible for them right. compared to a 25 year old. So w- what do you do about that? Well, well that's maybe- kind of screws up the whole dynamic then because you're constantly bringing in inexperienced people and having to put up with the additional warranty uh, rate and maybe slightly slower times than maybe the 50 55 year old that can do it mentally but just can't do it physically right and and there's coaching companies that advocate for just getting rid of that person right moving that person on right and we were talking about that in the tech cycle the other day is the fact that that so many coaching companies push that model that moves that tech in and out Right, that that tech is just a number. That tech is not a human. Well, it's being. not. It's not that necessarily that. It's just their job is to make the shop money. They they've been hired to turn that shop profitable, and that guy is not tr- profitable to the shop. So they that guy's got to go, because ultimately they're just trying to make the guy profitable. But see, well, when you hire a tech, though, nowhere does it say when you've been hired, and I've seen it in an interview where they sit down and you say your job is to make me a ton of money. That's not what they ask you to do, right? Agreed. You're, it's what is expected, but it's like your job is to fix the car. I need you fixing cars. I need you servicing cars, right? Well, I maybe need, we're presenting that incorrectly then. Well, but, because so, you and can that's fix gonna, whatever you want, but if you're not doing it profitably, I, I can't have you around. Right. But like, then you the can prof- fix it, but if you break everything in the process, like, right. you got to go. But profitability then comes down to, again, it's oftentimes too many times, and this is where I'm going to get you, hit you with a lightning bolt in the industry, and maybe you don't want to accept it. Too many times the profitability that isn't there isn't the tech's problem or the tech's fault. So I have a real problem when they go, you're supposed to make X amount of dollars. Like they should turn 150% profit you know, um, every week. Or they're no good to me. I need to go and find another one that can. This idea that I can open the door and pick up a rock and throw it out in the street and hit another guy to come in here and do this job, I've been hearing that for 50 years for the aftermarket. And how has it worked for you? It hasn't. Get that out of your conscious that that's, that's the reality because it isn't. If you bring in a whole bunch of cars in one week, and again, we can talk all you want about scheduling and billing. I'm, I'm not trying to go down that. I'm trying to simply say, Realize that sometimes the wheels fall off the cart and you get a whole bunch of cars in that are nightmares. They're diagnostic, you know, butt kickers. And all of a sudden that guy didn't hit 150%, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it, efficiency, productivity. Productivity, Uh, Like, I don't like that productivity word. Show me your proficiency. I don't care about your productivity. Show me your proficiency. So when we get that and you guys say, you guys being people in the aftermarket or people period that judge a tech, he didn't get this. Take that idea and unthink it because here's the future. Here's the future from a guy that's been in a dealership and been in the aftermarket and knows both sides of the coin. The future is going to be that eventually it's just going to take whatever it takes to fix the car. And the customer is going to be given a much fatter bill now 
when you put a mirror on a car, as an example, right? It was, oh, a mirror used to just take a half an hour to put on. Now you put the mirror on and then you go through an ADAS calibration, right? But then what happens when the customer wants a mirror put on, but they haven't fixed their ADAS from the last, you know, the bumper's fallen off it. So now all of a sudden the ADAS can't be calibrated properly. But now all of a sudden, because that mirror's working, something else doesn't work that used to work. And now you've got a pissed off customer. The reality is none of that is the tech's problem, right? It's the profitability comes down to how it's handled outside of the bay. My stipulation and my goal has always been since I started networking with these techs is to teach that, show them that, show them that you're not, it's not your problem if they don't bill for you properly. It's not my problem if you can't afford to pay me. It's not my problem. It's your problem. I I can agree. I can agree to a degree, right? But it's the tech's responsibility to communicate that clearly in a way that the the client and the the service writer, owner, whoever can understand it, right? And and there needs to be a policy and a procedure within the shop that allows for that. For instance, okay, you know, we're going to do a level one. That's going to have our research. That's going to have some basic code reading. You know, if we can make a call in that 30 minutes, we'll make that call. And then we're going to recommend a series of tests that are required. Or, hey, uh, Mr. Client, I see there's a number of concerns with this repair. I'm sorry, I won't be able to make that repair until we correct these concerns because it does pose a safety concern. Right. Right. But but the technician has to be able to communicate that. And and that's something that I've ran into. Um, you know, when me and you met years and years and years ago, I had what I would consider a hack technician working mm-hmm. for me. He made life miserable. You'll hear me talk about him on the show from time to time. He he did not have a clue how to diag. He was a parts changer and and at best now he came from the dealership yep. and he could boys he could change door latches on a Ford <laughs> in 30 minutes. Yeah. I mean, he was the door latch master, completely useless in all other aspects of of what you might see in in, you know, a, an independent repair shop. And and I don't mean that to be derogatory towards no. him, but I guess my point is, is that this guy couldn't write the ticket. This guy couldn't pull me the information and provide that information, even though we were paying for mm-hmm. that, even though we were putting time on the ticket and adding additional time and saying, listen, um, you know, part of the expectations of the job is now part of that is a shop problem. Part of that is a process problem. We don't have a a shop owner building a process that gives the tech the guidelines. We're not running it like a business with structure. You know, our new service writer, he's in here and he's talking. He said, you know, I was in the military and I'm someone who needs structure. And I'm over here thinking we're not very structured. <laughs> and he says, compared to where we've worked before, yeah. this is this is extremely structured. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know what my numbers are supposed to be. I know what the communication protocol is. Chain of command. I have it on. Right. I know what it is on paper. Here's what I say when this person asks this question. I talk to the technician and we talk about this. We put this on paper. Right. And and I think that that if techs demand that, if techs say, listen, I'm not going to work for a facility that doesn't have this documentation, doesn't have this information, doesn't have a process that allows me to repair cars properly safely efficiently doesn't matter at that point no right our job our number one job is to keep our clients safe in their Mm -hmm. automobile 
No ifs, ands, or buts about it. That is our number one job. We're to keep it safe and we're to keep it reliable. I was just going to say reliable. You you know, sometimes we overlook the fact and and think, oh, you know, we're here to make money. Yeah, we're here to make money. We're We're here to be profitable. But the number one thing is to serve our client. I told you on the phone the other day, we were talking about this. And and my biggest thought with this is, is that I make sure my staff understands that they are their clients, not mine. They are taking care of them as their clients. Do it the way you would if it was your wife or daughter's car, except charge yeah, mom's car, please. Right. Uh, you know, exactly. Yeah. I, I want the car fixed correctly. If the client doesn't want to fix the car correctly, I'm sorry, pick the car up. It's going. But it's the tech's responsibility to communicate that. It's the writer's responsibility to take that communication, turn it into something that can easily be transferred to the owner of the vehicle. Yep. Right. That's their job. And, and that's that. It's part. And of the that's process. what I. And I'm. I'm not trying to. You know, come down on David or, or like I say it again, wave that flag for the dealer. But I've never walked into two independent shops that had anything similar from one another in any kind of process, culture, procedures, chain of command. Chain of command would co- would change from day to day depending on who showed up, right? Uh, so right. I'm not saying dealerships are yay dealer. I'm just saying that if you want to start to poach these, these techs from the dealerships, you're going to have to, as an aftermarket, step your game up on a much larger scale collectively I realize we're talking to the exceptions in the industry here, not the norm. That's the reality. Um, and start to implement that kind of stuff, right? We talk about training for techs. I can tell you right now, there's more, I've seen more owners that need training than I've seen that need techs. Because I know that I can take that tech and I can train him or I can find a place for him where he can fit and he can, well, let's use that term, make me money. Or at least I, he has a role. But I've worked for countless guys that couldn't even, you know, they had they had to have their customers on credit. You know what I mean? Like it's like you come yeah. by and pay me a hundred dollars a week for for that transmission that I put in a year ago, and they're still looking, watching the car drive by every day, wondering when he's going to come by. And and you know the worst part of that is 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 you think that silver bullets are are limited to technicians? No, we see owner silver bullets seven days a week. How do I fix? What do I do? Right. And it's always, I just need to hire a technician. It's always, I just need to expand the shop. It's all right. And, and, and the reality is, is running a business is very much like diagnosing or testing a car. I don't like the word diagnosing. Sorry. I'm cringed when I said it. Um, it, it's much like testing a car. There, there's variables. Um, it's a dynamic situation, but we know if there are specific guidelines which are met the car will run mm-hmm. right if, if there's specific metrics there's specific numbers that if we have good compression we have air we have fuel um we have command right we have a way to control timing ignition and fuel systems timing right it will run <laughs> there's no ends or buts about it if everything is right it will run a business is the same way i find lucas when i when i read some of the the industry published stuff about, you know, how to make your shop like this and stuff like that. And, you know, how to boost this. And and I've, so at a shop I went to, they actually sent me on a management course for a day because he had to send, you know, three guys from the shop and he only had two that were managers and they had to send three or else his boss was going to chew him out. 
And I remember sitting there and it, in a nutshell, it was like, how do you sell more tires, right? How do you manage to sell more tires? And how does it from the cold call, you know, how to answer the phone, how to, it was great. But I see it too much that they put the retail method mentality into this business. And I have seen it fail time and time and time again. I can't remember the guy's name. I heard it 20 years ago, at least. But it was the old adage, you know, if somebody comes in, wants to buy a hamburger, wants an extra pickle, that's going to be five cents. Sorry, I can't just give the man a pickle, right? You ever hear, maybe somebody, you guys have heard that training analogy been given mm-hmm. out or in business talk. So there's a story behind that, and it, it, it will stick in my brain to the last day that I breathe, take a breath, is because my boss went on that course. And he came back and he showed us all how if you just do another 0.3 a day, it'll end up to be X amount of dollars at the end of the week. If you take all that X amount of dollars at the end of the week and you put it into a fund, you'd be able to pay for this trip to go away, you know, your flight all-inclusive to Jamaica. And we all thought, well, that's friggin' great. His name was Don. We're like, Don, that's fantastic. That's what a great way. Well, what it became is that we heard that speech from him on Thursday. And by Monday, when we would go up and we would have our, you know, oh, well, can't you just put that bulb in for free? Or something like that. And he'd say, <laughs> we'd say, you know, he's like, it's just point three. And we, our rhetorical answer back to then was Don was Don. I just want my Jamaican holiday like you do. Right. And it, it right. totally, his training then that he'd taken totally had no warrant. It had no, it carried no weight with the text. It carried no weight with him because there's what sounds good. And then there's what's reality, right? And that's the thing. If you're not willing to charge that customer for that 0.3, then how is your tech supposed to show the number 0.3 that you want to then judge his productivity by? So I have a real big problem when you talk about, when you mention my name or any text and productivity. I I, I almost shut you out because I don't, it's just, show me what he fixed last week, man. Show me what he solved. I'm more impressed by that. You know, when when me and you became friends years ago, and and I I was we were talking about this earlier. It was we had known each other in the automotive technicians group, but then Bill yeah. started the treehouse, and I really kind of followed you from a long time, and and built a lot of the thought processes that I had about how technicians were treated in our industry and how I wanted to treat my people and how I wanted to improve my business because I uh-huh. had been a bad boss yeah. at times. Right. And, and, you know, one of the things that me and you were talking about before the show started was, is that it is so easy to get lost in business ownership. Um, you know, and, and David has talked about the cycle over and over and over again that we started as, um, a technician and and the boss wasn't treating us right and, and and all these things were going wrong and and you know we weren't being paid fairly and I could make more working for mm-hmm. myself. We start a shop, um, we struggle. We're not making any money. We're not doing things properly. Might even be considered a hack shop. We're part of the problem. We're not part of the solution. Eventually, somebody like a coaching company or somebody comes around and shows you this way, and that's how flat rate shops yep. are born right and and you know just this week we saw two or three posts about hey i'm i'm switching everybody in my shop to flat rate how do i switch them? 
and, and you know, to me that just that bothers me because it it's not really the solution that they think it is. Um, and and the problem is is that usually from my experience is if if the shop is not being productive, usually it's at the front counter. Flat flat rate is is a is an awesome tool. I've said that for years. Is an awesome tool for people that don't know how to run the business. Yeah. That's what exactly. it's that's it's a band-aid. It's a stopgap so that when you can't plan for your lulls in the season, right? When you can't plan for your proper scheduling, um, when you put too many in this, you know, when you when you piss off, you know, a large customer, he takes 10 cars out of your bay or out of your facility, and you lose that, and you lose that workload off the top. It's a band-aid because you know what? I got those four guys standing there, and you know, this is gonna be upsetting to some people are going to say and and i don't have to pay them well you for half of them you'll say well they're not making me any money yeah they're you're right they're not but their job when they come in there isn't to find you the customers and it isn't to to create you the proper running business right or that's really good grammar jeff um (laughs) is to is to facilitate that for you their job is to fix the car so when you make the mistakes of, you know, um, burning too many people, incorrect diagnostic, right? Gouging the customer, whatever you want to talk about it. And then you say, okay, well, numbers are down for this year. So let's put the text on flat rate. My goal, as long as I'm on Facebook and as long as I'm in these groups, will then to be show these texts, how you get out of those shops. Because I yeah. don't, I believe yeah, it's an antiquated I believe it's an antiquated system. I believe that if I went and looked at all the numbers and actually talked to people, and for every guy that ever said, listen, I, I, I wouldn't work any other way, but that's all the way I want to work as I only want to work flat rate. If I went and found that guy 15 years later when he's 45 and say, hey, you still want to do it? He might say no. But then if I looked at what he could actually probably fix, he probably isn't a tech that in 10 years we're even going to have a job for him. Right. So, yeah. you know, it's, I, I'm not trying to, you know, again, I'm not trying to say, yay dealer. I'm just trying to say that, like, they at least they have, you know, like I've never started a job at an independent and they had an employee handbook. Never had one yet. But every dealer oh, I've man, ever. And you need, hey, you need a job. I, I, look, slow <laughs> down, buddy. I got an employee handbook. They won't let there, me cross the like border. Five or six of them over here. Can't can't cross the border yet. We're not. No, allowed. listen. You can cross the border. You just can't go back. Well, yeah, but there's there's issues there. Not issues criminally. I've never like I can free to go. But it's just it makes me laugh when when I hear that from quote unquote industry experts about it that that's how you make money. So here's my thing. We'll talk about Mr. Greenwood, right? As, as being an industry expert. That's one person's idea of an industry expert. My idea of an industry expert is Paul Danner. And they have, they can discuss the same topics within the industry, right? And they're going to have very different opinions on it. Maybe, maybe they're not. I don't know. I don't know enough about Mr. Greenwood on what he thinks of maybe flat rate and all that kind of jazz. Not important. It's, 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 there's a line, right? And we're on one side of it and owners and managers are on the other. And I understand that like lots of owners and lots of managers used to be taxed and I get it. And they still are. I'm not saying you're not, 
But you have to realize if you want to break that cycle and you want to fix this industry for the next generation, because let's let's be real, right? You can't get qualified young people to come in and do this anymore. You can't. I can't because right, I can right. tell you I ain't seen one in 10 years, 15 years, actually. The, the two that I've seen in the last 15 years, I had to train. So, right. you know, they, I got them as green, 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 and they made it. And they're good techs now. I didn't have to teach them everything, but man, when they're still stuck or, you know, like they still contact, they reach out to me. They still say, I was lucky to get in with you because you showed me how to take what was on the page and apply it to the vehicle, right? This is the, this is the bigger industry problem you're facing than just the numbers that a certain tech is in a certain column. That's your huge problem so, right now. And I'll tell you right now, the dealerships are the ones that are recruiting. They're the ones that are setting up the programs and saying, hey, you know, you high school kids that want to come in to get cars, you like cars, come work on cars. They're doing that. The aftermarket. So how do we close the divide? How, how I mean, well, you're right. And, and the dealerships are working really hard. The dealerships are, are, are really putting in the extra effort. They're, they're bringing sign-on bonuses and yep. they're saying we've yep. got air conditioned yep. and, and beautiful shops and we're giving you all your tools. You know, we talked about that the other day. Should we be supplying text their tools? Um, you know, there's so many things that the dealerships are doing and, and let's be real. At some point or another, you get to the point that dollars, uh, profit dollar wise, gross profit dollar wise, net profit wise to offer everything that they offer. It gets mighty tough. Sure. Right? It it's hard to do that as an independent. Yeah. I, I believe we can offer a better culture. I believe we can offer um, a better experience in many, many ways. How do we close this divide? How how do we begin to bridge the gap? So again, and you know, David doesn't like it because we're talking about you know regulations and certifications and stuff in the industry. But you have to realize that there has to be some level of uniformity in the independence, right? And that's, that's why a lot of guys wind up at a chain store versus, you know, Joe's at a shop like yours, Lucas. That's why they may end up at a chain store is because they know, okay, that if I go to, you know, Firestone here and I, I can transfer to maybe that store. Right. And right. I know how, how they want things done. Right. Right now it's, it's the wild, wild west. When you go into the aftermarket, you might go into some place and these still, you know, um, cutting brake rotors. Or he's still slapping pads on, right? Or you'll get into guys arguing about how do you clean the hub before you put the rotor on. Like when you walk into a dealer, the dealer tells you this is how you do it. And you may not do it that way, right? And then if you have comebacks, you deal with it, but you deal with an individual. But the, the processes and the procedures are are pretty much laid out. Man, there's more independents around here that don't function like that than do. And mm. that, if you want to talk about how you bridge the gap, the aftermarket has to step their game up. And I'm not telling anybody anything that you already probably haven't heard from the people in the, in the but that's how you're going to do it. That's how you, you have no choice. You have no choice. You will be locked out of the, in the information highways, you want to say, the new stuff that's coming out, you'll be locked out. And you, even if you don't want to be and you want to invest and, you know, play on a level playing field, you won't be able to because the talent won't be there to do it. They will snap them all up and they will keep them. 
You know, you got to remember, I came through on the first Right to Repair Act. You've heard me say that, right? I was there in 97 when the guys were all complaining about, it's bullshit. I can't get a scan tool to talk to this and I can't get a, you know, they won't give me any data. Yeah, that's an unfair playing field. And now, 25 years later, we're still having owners, techs, complain about, I got to make this investment. I got to make that investment. And just to be able to fix this person's car. Nobody's putting a gun to your head and saying you have to make that investment. If you so choose to tell Susie, sorry, we can't work on your car. We're not tooled up to do it. That's your right, right? And you, you, but if you, it's the buck has to stop and say, you know, I'm, it's not a level playing field. If you've got money in your pocket, then you've got some way to still say, I'm going to make this a level playing field. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. If you'd like to catch these episodes early, you can do so by becoming a patron. Just go to asog.site and click on the Become a Patron Now button. Becoming a patron helps support the show, gets you several perks, and is tax deductible. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and on YouTube. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, or if you have any topic suggestions, please reach out to me via email. My email address is david at asog.site. That's D-A-V-I-D at A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E. Until next time. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. Before I let you go, I need to ask you a question. Are you using the best innovative shop management system in the country? If you doubt that you are, why are you making your life harder? Shopware stays one step ahead of everyone else by bringing a clean, easy to use program unlike anything else on the market. Go to getshopware.com and see what I mean today. That's getshopware.com. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.